Let me talk you through the two most emotional, stressful months of my sales career. It's no big deal to call a CTO and tell I want to talk. You cannot stand on the sideline and basically wait until the dice rolls itself. It's never going to happen. I don't know if this is going to be on the record or off the record. It's almost like playing with cards, this job. Like, it's like you, you get given a, a hand of cards and like you have to do the best with what, what you have. Is someone might have been watching, watching down on me. Me and Jack going into this, when, when he originally told me exactly the same, like, oh, you know, Jack, I've got this idea, you know, what about this? I just, my first thought was, my God, if no, I don't even care if anyone, like, listens to this, you know, if I take one key takeaway from every recording, I'll be such a better app. This is no big deal, the sales podcast. So, without further ado, we are really excited to welcome... Matt Milligan, the CEO and co-founder at U-Hubs. He's also been our first ever Forbes 30 under 30. So, you know, we must be going somewhere to have great guests like Matt. Matt also, claim to fame, met corporate bro in the past couple of weeks in, in a conference in San Francisco. That, that was a beer dream of ours and Jack's. U-Hubs, the company that Matt's founded, are a sales enablement platform that ensure leaders can coach, ramp their teams a lot more effectively to ultimately drive really increased performance. Thanks for coming on, Matt. Thanks for having me on, boys. Really, really impressed with what you guys have been building here. So keep up the great work. Appreciate that, mate. I've actually just got a quick caveat as well, Jack. I've actually heard that it's a dream of corporate bros to meet us. So <laughs> dreams of coming on, no big deal. Yeah, exactly. And he can dream one day it will come true. Matt, thanks for joining us, mate. I really appreciate it. I guess, yeah, where well, we always kick off. And this is probably going to be a unique version of this question as well for you as well, because I'm assuming this probably kicked off a, a journey for the business, not just a, a journey for the deal as well. So could you tell us with this particular deal in mind, kind of how did you get, how did it get started and did, and how did that coincide with the start of the business? Yeah, absolutely. We'd, we'd love to, to jump in just really quickly on the corporate road point. Now you mention it, Jack, because there is a, a bit of a story behind that. I was out with a customer in San Francisco last week and we went for lunch the day before. And she says, oh, my God, you're around in San Francisco on Thursday night. What are you doing? So I said, oh, I've got no plans. As you don't when you go to a city when you don't know anyone. So she goes, oh, my God, you've got to come to this thing. I've got tickets to this movie premiere. So I knew nothing about it, literally absolutely nothing. So all she said is go to this address at this time. We'll meet there at seven. So I get there, I'm kind of lingering around outside this movie theater. There's no banners or anything. Client messages me. She goes, yeah, I'm going to be 30 minutes late. So you've got to entertain yourself. So I'm sitting drinking a glass of wine <laughs> next door on my own, like an absolute weirdo, waiting for my customer to rock up. And in the end, she goes, you know what? Traffic's really bad. You just go in. I'll see you in there. So I walk in. To, and by the time I've, I've finished my glass of wine, I've walked into this, this movie theater. The place is packed. There's a red carpet. There's photographers. I still don't know. <laughs> what I'm attending and I'm queuing and next thing you know I'll get ushered onto this red carpet and there's photographers and everything and I go oh, this is this is quite cool like my mum would love a picture of me so I hand my phone over to some random lady and I go you take a pic of me on the red carpet and she goes oh my god where's your accent from I said like, I'm from London and she goes no way she goes wait here five minutes later I get my phone I still haven't got my phone back this this woman comes walking through with corporate bro and she's gone and told him a guy from London has come over for the premiere. <laughs> no way, what a story. So at that point, it was like the cat was out the hat. I had, it was too late to kind of reel back. So I just went with it. So corporate bro comes up to me and he goes, dude, 
I'm going to do a bad American accent. I goes, dude, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I was just like, man, you know, like, I love your content, my team, my SDRs absolutely love your stuff. So I had to support you, man. And he was like, and then he, he gets on stage and does a speech before the, the viewing. And he's like, you know, really proud to have people from all over the world here. He's like, we've got people from Indiana. We've got one guy from London. <laughs> Amazing. That's the dream. So it was an international premiere. Was pretty funny. And, uh, movie premiere. I was just going to say, I, I, I kind of, we digress, but I thought it was worth giving the context to that story. Yeah, perfect. One guy from London here by accident. <laughs> no, no, really. <laughs> by accident. <laughs> Good times. So back to the deal. So Jack, your original question was, where did the deal come from? So this, this deal that I was reflecting on is, is a deal that's, that's quite close to my heart. It was one of the, so it was our third customer in the States. The US is, is, is quite a new market for us. It's a growing, growing market. It was a deal that I closed last year, sort of mid last year. And it originated through an SDR outbound channel. Basically, our strategy at UHubs has been EMEA. And then what the guys will do is they'll do some prospecting and they'll have a bunch of US numbers at the end of the day. And then they'll just slam through those US numbers for the last hour and see what happens. So it's not like we've even had a kind of con conceited effort to, to focus on North America. So this was kind of one that, that, that got picked up almost accidentally. The thing I liked about the, the opportunity in terms of how it came around is the SDRs managed to set up multiple conversations with stakeholders within the same company. So we kind of built momentum really quickly on the deal because I had, I think, three discovery calls with three separate stakeholders, which was a, yeah, a nice way to get started. At this point, are you, you're running all the sales cycles yourself at this point, right? This was before I hired a head of sales. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> this was pure, pure founder-led sales, which, you know, I, I'm still leading deals today at UHubs. I, I love selling. I've, you know, we, we sell to salespeople. So I think yeah. I, have to, I have to continue to cut my teeth. I have to continue to hone my craft. And I love it. And this is so you different to the most people that we speak to is that everybody says, oh, you know what? I just want to make it clear that, you know, this is, was a team effort. And although this was a team effort, you've got a team of SDRs who are doing like the, the hard part of the of the of opening the deal. But this is like you're you're wearing many hats. You're a sales engineer. You're in, I don't know what else you can be in this role. But you're opening, closing, writing the theme tune, singing the theme tune, type of thing. Yeah, I, I think it's fair. Even at the earlier stages, it still really helps having a great team around you. So you know, I'll, I'll give an example of that. You know, like my my head of customer success, Cosy, is a superstar. So. I love bringing her into deals early oh, um, sure. just to sort of start building that relationship and sharing with the customer who they're going to be working with. If we move forwards together, head of products, the same. Yeah. He basically is, is my sales engineer. And I think just the difference as well for selling as an early stage company, it's very much a visionary sell. So I'm sure we'll come to talk about the sort of storytelling aspect, but I do a lot of selling through stories. That's really important when, you know, you're early, you're early products, you're early early in terms of number of logos as well. Yeah, you haven't got credibility in bags and droves to fall back on and say, here's a case study from this big brand that you're aware of in your industry that we can rely on. It really is like, you've got to trust me. You've kind of got to fall in love with my idea and my story in order for it to go from there. So are you able to tell us a little bit more about when kind of you sensed that there was momentum in this? You said you've got three, four meetings already. How did you how did you bring all those together and and go and take it in a direction like the blood in the water type moment? Yeah, we got, got off to a really good start. So one of the, the, the key kind of 
moments of urgency that we identified early on in that that first round of discovery was that they had a they were using a an incumbent and the renewal date was up so that creates a really nice kind of natural finish line to push towards it it was a kind of a, a it's a, it's a tale of two two halves this deal because the first half you know we kind of were flying i thought we were going to have the deal wrapped up within kind of 45 days or so which we kind of usually expect for a, a mid market deal like it like this one is but it's probably on the kind of punchier end of mid-market. So, you know, not to give the kind of end game away, but it was one of the bigger deals that we'd signed at the time, multi-year. Um, we had great momentum coming out the gates. We had, you know, multi-threaded the deal from the get-go. One of the things to answer your question, Jack, around how we brought things together, I think it's just been really upfront with each individual that I was meeting, that I was having conversations with their colleagues already. And I think there's been numerous times on deals I've worked throughout my career where the champion can often kind of protect and hoard things and is you know really hard to kind of break break through and and get above that champion sometimes to the to the decision maker the economic buyer but but with, with this case i didn't have a problem i was already you know speaking at multiple lines of dialogue and i was really upfront about that during the early part of the process so the way i did that really to kind of set the scene was when i first opened a conversation with a new stakeholder i'd say it's great to meet i've been having really great conversation with your colleague x this is what it sounds like it's really important to the organization at the moment. We'd love to get your perspective on that. And that's kind of, kind of quite a nice way to to open up a, a discovery call found. Yeah, really good. <clears throat> Gives you a lot of credibility as well when you're going into different buyers. I think the question I had with this is how senior were the stakeholders that you originally had in those first three calls? And after you completed those three calls, did you continue to do the sales process separately with each of them? Or did you try and, you know, bundle them all together in the next stage with your hypothesis? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. No, I think one of the big things that, that was kind of unusual in terms of this deal, which I haven't, haven't had since, to be honest, is <laughs> I kind of had to use those initial discovery calls to figure out who the best champion would be. Um, so it was almost like I was kind of hedging my bets. I, I think so just to, to map out who those stakeholders were, we had VP of RevOps, who was the most senior stakeholder. We then had a head of sales enablement, eventually turned out to be our main champion. And then we had a, a sales director, VP of sales for North America, who basically gave us a kind of thumbs up, was like, this is cool. I think this is great. We need this, but you're better off speaking to RevOps and enablement. So we kind of like built a bit of consensus early on with sales leadership, which is really helpful because actually when we came round to like final sign-off process and the CRO got involved, the CRO went and presented it to his team and that head of North America, that VP was obviously in that conversation. So that helped us a lot. And that feedback came out once we'd signed the deal, but yeah, it was really around to, to your questions. That was like identifying who the champion was going to be and like really where should we focus most of our efforts moving forwards. And I think as well to jump back a stage, you know, it's great to have these situations where you've got this critical event of we use an incumbent, the contract end date is this. Were they actively shopping around and did they have a lot of challenges with their incumbent? Yes, they did. So so look, they had some challenges. I think this is this is probably why I chose this deal to, to walk through because they did a full, a very extensive review of the market. You know, we were one of four solutions that they 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 compared. Their existing vendor, the kind of real, real problem that they had with that that solution was that they were really taking their roadmap down like a content management travel of direction. So 
that's not what the customer wanted. They were like, we've, you know, we've already got an existing solution for that. We've got a high spot. We, we, we kind of don't need another CMS. So, so, so that, that kind of played in our favor. So early on, we knew what the kind of priorities were and how they were thinking about their options. And, and to be honest, the, the way that I positioned us at the beginning of the process was, was really as like an advisor, was to say like, look, we've got some really strong perspectives on how we see this enablement platform market playing out. I'm happy to just kind of help share insights and coach. And I think at, at one step during the early part of the sales process, I even presented like a kind of investor pitch deck which had like a lands market landscape slide on it. So I was really trying to play that role of teach them about where the market's going, how it's evolving. And and yeah, I, I think, I guess, looking back, that, that definitely built a lot of trust with the prospect early on. And this is going to be a bit of a segue outside of like the pro, like the sales process. How, because we, me and Jack know what it's like being a sales rep with our own quota. And it's like, this is a big deal. This is going to do my, this is going to do my H1 quota if I get this deal in or whatever. I'm assuming it means a lot more to you being the founder and CEO of the business, right? How, how are you able to separate, this is an important deal for me and the business's revenue. And also this is a fucking important deal for us to win as a business and kind of like keep yourself calm and also give off that aura of calm to the rest of the team who are involved. Not to give away your secrets. <laughs> it's, a, it's an amazing question. You, you know what? And I don't even know if I could take credit for it. I mentioned it was a deal of two halves. Reason being, we built a really good rapport with the RevOps and the enablement leader early on in the deal. We had had about two or three conversations together. We had had an initial high-level roadmap discussion. I had educated them on the market and their options. And they'd kind of kept me posted on how their review was going. And then I remember it really well because it was my mate's wedding. So I went off. I had a, a, a trip planned to the south of France at this wedding overseas. They, The champion cancelled the call, so it declined the call. And then I had nothing. And then it was like kind of three or four days. And I was like, oh, okay. They've obviously gone, you know, they've, they've got changed course. They've gone for another option. At that point in the deal, I kind of just thought this is losing momentum. You know, it's kind of not really going anywhere. This is like biggest fear as a founder is wasting time selling to people that aren't actually going to buy from you. They're just taking the conversation because you're a founder and they want to learn something. And that was my fear at that point. So I kind of put it into the bucket of they're probably just fact finding, probably wasting my time. So I kind of semi-qualified it out. In fact, I did qualify it out one pipeline because when we eventually won the deal, it was called customer name II. So it kind of came back in. So I think because of that, I psychologically qualified the deal out midway through the deal. And that helped me kind of let go of the outcome and stop caring so much and probably freed me up for the second half of the deal. Because I was going to say, the way you were approaching it in that first half, let's call it, is like because you were being educational, because you were being non-aggressive, you're hoping that that's luring them in to make you feel like, by the way, I'm not trying to catch you out here. I'm just trying to help you learn. But there's a double-edged sword that you're like, also, I'm the founder of this business. I need to go after these guys with, like, with a spear in my hand. But you can't because, like you said, you can't waste time. You can't, you can't put all your chips in one in sorry, all your eggs in one basket, which Jack and I do all the time. But he was saying the other day, he's like, yeah, i got one massive deal. If it comes in, I'll make my quarter. If it doesn't, I'm screwed. <laughs> which is like, we can afford to do that, but your world you can't so that's super interesting take yeah and i think it's it's it goes back to you know like the law of attraction things move towards what moves away from them um so the minute i kind of psychologically qualified out and and kind of pulled back yeah you know there wasn't the kind of weekly update emails and checking in with them asking them how the review's going i kind of just retreated from that because i was just investing my efforts elsewhere fast forward to two to three weeks later the prospect came kind of crawling out the woodwork and was like 
okay, review's complete. We really liked your roadmap walkthrough. We think that your solution is best suited to what we need. So it kind of went from qualified out <laughs> to, oh my God, we've verbally been named as vendor of choice in this competitive review of the market. So it was a real kind of roller coaster of emotions at that point. And then I was like, I remember sitting in, in the office when I got back from France and I was like, this is mental. Like uh, I went over and my head of product sits, sits over there. I said, we can actually win this thing. You know, it's back on. And Matt, on that, I think that's a really important part. <clears throat> what part of the decision criteria do you think you won the deal on compared to the bigger players in the market? Yeah. So in the early part of the process, I definitely done a lot of discovery around their kind of like early adopter mindset. So I think, that, again, going back to the earlier stage sell, it's really important that we try to source and qualify in prospects who possess early adopter indicators. So some of the things I look for is I will look for people who are recently promoted into leadership roles. So like a, a new VP of sales is like a really great prospect for us to speak with because they're typically trying to drive a step change. They're trying to really make a name for themselves in the organization. Whereas someone who's been in, in the role for kind of several years is maybe a little bit more comfortable, isn't really trying to go for a step change. They're probably going to sit more in that like early majority or late majority. If you guys are familiar with the Jeffrey Moore adoption curve. So as, as a founder, it's really important that we spend our time focusing on those innovators, those change makers, those people who really want to pioneer new stuff in the, in the organizations. So during discovery, I actually add in a bunch of discovery questions, which is things like very personal things, like where are you trying to get to personally in the next 18 months? Like if we achieve that outcome that you've just told me is really important for the business, what will that mean for you? Is it a promotion? Is it, is it a new house? Is it really getting like quite personal and, and relationship, really focused on building relationships with those prospects early on? So I'd done quite a lot of that. And I'd recognized that the, the, the RevOps, the VP of RevOps was like newly promoted was looking to really make a name for herself in the organization. So she kind of out the gate was very clear. She came out and she said, in my experience, we love working with early stage customers because you can actually shape the roadmap. Whereas working with established players, you have to submit a Zendesk ticket and you never hear back from them. So that for me was like really strong validation that we had some great signals of an early adopter champion in there. So I, I knew early on, you know, before I got ghosted for three weeks, three and a half weeks and qualified it out. I knew early on that we had a really good champion there, that the early sort of signs were, were good. On that, in this instance, and perhaps in other instances in your sales career as well, once you do find that bit of information out, or once you did find that bit of information out about XYZ persona and this deal, for example, how do you then bring that up again? Or do you just let it, because they because it's come out of their mouth and it's into the ether, do you just let it hang there and just let it be something that comes up in perhaps conversation again, or do you forcefully bring it back to them to remind them of why you're doing this? So, so something that I've recently incorporated into our sales process, which has kind of crystallized what I kind of already knew is, 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 is two things. So working with one of our angel investors, Misha, who's now at Zscaler, he's just phenomenal. And you guys should definitely have him on the show if you haven't already reached out to him. We're good friends, Matt. He used to work Who's he? Who's <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, he's at sales <laughs> Yeah, what I'm talking about. Yeah, who? Who? <laughs> in one way we all work we all work for misha in one way or another <laughs> misha's been uh been really helpful in terms of kind of crystallizing some of so some of the ways that i've been selling as a founder and helping us kind of turn that into much more of a playbook repeatable approach so so one of those things we, we talked about a lot is is value pyramids if you guys are familiar so you know thinking about how you obviously start off with the higher high level objectives of the organization 
you then obviously layer down through strategic sales initiatives that have been run, how those align to the overall objective, the roadblocks standing in the way of doing those things, and then presenting your, your ultimate solution. So what I've actually started started doing is using using that structure to not only think about the strategic sales initiatives that have been run and the vision for the business, but also incorporating some of the personal ambitions of the person I'm selling to, which has been really interesting. And then just to layer on top of that, you know, one of the things I've 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 been working on recently is the difference between um, rational impact and emotional impact. Okay. So rational impact within a deal will be, we're going to reduce your ramp time by 21%. That's going to be the rational impact of moving forwards with the project together. But the rational impact, like as human beings, we're emotional creatures. So the rational impact is great for the CFO because it justifies the deal. But if you don't combine rational impact with emotional impact, it's really hard to get a champion excited about moving your deal forwards. So an example of an emotional impact would be, if we achieve a 21% reduction in ramp time in the next six months, that's going to enable me to do to, to realize my revenue target much sooner within my revenue team, which is going to help me get a promotion within the next promotion window. And then you've got to go dr drill deeper into that rational, that emotional impact. So what does that promotion in the next six months mean for you? Well, it means that I'll be able to afford the mortgage on that new home that I want to move into with my new wife, as an example. Now you're talking like now everything that that person is thinking about when they're waking up every day is now tied to the success of the project that you're moving forwards with them. So for me, that was something that's sort of really helped crystallize. It's like, how do you map out just a really simple value pyramid and how do you incorporate rational impact and emotional impact? Yeah, I think I, sh I think what that's one thing I'm learning at the moment is like that emotional intelligence to be able to deliver that back to the person who said it to me in a way that doesn't seem manipulative, but does seem encouraging. You take what they've said to you and you help them try and achieve it without trying to hang it over their head and say, if you don't do this, like if you don't buy this off me, you're in big trouble. You're never going to get that house because that's just bad EQ. But if you can encourage them along the path in order to remind them that there's an objective in it for them and the business, then you're aligned with them personally. And like you said, rationally, but easier said than done. I've, that's why this podcast is good. <laughs> how, whatever I learned that. How, how do you present the emotional impact? So I, I lead the one thing that I've been doing recently, which seems to be working quite well, is leading with the rational impact. So when you've got your value pyramid mapped out on a slide and you're presenting that back to a, a client, say you've got a, a call with a champion. And then once you get at the bottom, you, you've walked them through the rational impact for moving forwards with this project, is you kind of do it as like a bit of a throwaway comment. So then I'll, I'll say to the, to the prospect, like, and, and Sam, let's not forget, like, I want to make sure that you get what you want out of this. So we need to make sure that you look good. Love it. Yeah, it's a really good, it's great. Did that come up at all in this deal? Was there one that you had? Did you have anybody with a, yeah, you did. Yeah, so we had, I mean, going back to the to the the, the France example, you know, I was then away for the wedding, came back. I remember taking this roadmap call, which, which kind of changed the direction of the deal in the second half. I'm a head of product on the call. And he, it, it, we've got quite a, a good process now when we, we recognize that we've got really good fit early adopter champion. I wheel him out. He, he takes them through our product vision. He takes them through our roadmap. He shows some of the feedback that we've got from recent customers on, on call recordings. And 
the feedback we got from the the prospect on that call was like this is it like this is the exactly the type of stuff that we want to be involved in and then i used that kind of approach to play that back to them i was like look like let's make sure we don't lose sight of why this is important for you like we want to make sure that we're telling this amazing story back to the organization about this step change that we're going to drive yeah i love it i love the idea of like the throwaway comment being so impactful on a personal level but yet kind of subtle and discreet enough for you to feel as though it's not like aggressive that makes sense i'm keen to know like perspective all i'm thinking about is that if i was a buyer i wouldn't be thinking at the end of the week needing to get this done about the rational impact i'd be thinking about the emotional impact yeah i don't stay late at work to help close deals for rational impacts I did it from the monkey part of my brain that wants wants the thing, the shiny object, yeah. <laughs> the status, or whatever it is. Yeah, and, and I think something like personally, I'm I'm learning on like I've literally got it written on a post-it note here. Right, be more direct. You know, like so often I've I've found in my sales career that those moments which feel a little bit awkward, those questions which you really want to ask but you're kind of not sure if you should ask them. Like actually just being honest and upfront and direct with your with your champion, your prospects and and just going for it and just asking that question. That's that's when you really kind of create that that friction when things actually start to happen quite often in the deal. So sales director, enablement, VP of RevOps and a RevOps manager. And they had unanimously bought in. So I had really good kind of consensus across the board that this was the chosen solution. They had a really well documented review of the market. And they basically the, the client had was was so energized about the coming out of that roadmap meeting they had done quite a lot of the work for me so actually i had one call which was 30 minutes with the cro it was the cro vp revops and the head of enablement i didn't even demo the product it was literally just a chat it, he had a few questions questions about rollout questions about adoption so it's almost like the the, the con- kind of consensus approach of selling i wish i could do this in all of my deals by the way had has had worked so well that they'd done the selling for me so that the sign off sign off meeting with the CRO was just a formality. Sounds like an interview process, doesn't it? You know, where you have to do like discovery role plays and then do it, everyone vets, and then you finally meet the VP or the CRO at the end, and it's just them going, Yeah, they're that's fine. I'm happy to work with them. Totally. It's a really good analogy. And ultimately, like I, I think the probably the two moments that stand out in terms of winning this deal is one not not really trying to sell to them during discovery at all just trying to teach them about the market and where we thought it was headed and based on the, on the insights we've got and then obviously two just a vision selling them on the, on the vision for what we're building and making sure that that we were both aligned in terms of you know where the roadmap was was headed and and that they wanted to be on that journey with us that's a great and, couple of takeaways like adversely to that like what what do you think is something you wish you'd done differently? So this is the embarrassing bit now, guys. So 2022, we actually haven't been around that long as a business. Like you were started as a side hustle 20, late 2019. 2020, we jumped in full-time as founders. We did a load of experimentation. We actually, we focused as a content business for the first year. We didn't have a product in market until kind of mid 2021. So really, we've only been a, a platform business for, for two and a bit years, right? Relatively new business. So 2022, I set myself goals at the end of each year. And usually I go back, my mom's from Cape Town. Usually we go back to South Africa 
And I have this kind of routine where I'll sit on the plane on the way home after the holiday and I'll write down goals on the plane. And it's just kind of like my thing. I always try and book a window seat. So it's like you're looking out the window, you're kind of reflecting on the last year. Anyway, a bit of tradition. I'm writing down my goals. And one of the goals I wrote down beginning of 2022 was multi-year deals. So it was like a big breakthrough thing. It was like, we have to figure out how to sell these multi-year deals as a business. And, and we had done one leading up to, to this one. So, so I really wanted to, to go for the multi-year deal. And it was something we did. We did a three-year deal, which I was sort of chuffed with. The massive issue <laughs> and the thing I'd definitely done differently if I could go back in time I, I would have, I would have charged more. I mean, we got no pushback on price, which is just such a fucking rookie. So it was like mixed emotions when the contract came over. Cause it was like, yeah, I signed it. And I was like, oh, he's just, just signed it. You know? Yeah. Three deals. Fine. Price is fine. And I'm just like, fuck. You can't, mm. you, you, the only way you can learn from that is by doing that. The only way you can learn to not do that again is by doing that. In, in the antithesis to that, and I guess perhaps outside of this deal itself, is like, have you got that that gold sales memory in your head of like, that's the best thing I've ever done in sales, or like, that's my favorite moment in sales? Have you got one of those that springs to mind? Yeah, there's a couple. One would probably be another one of our US customers. It was, I was back home at my mom's. I was sitting on her sofa. I, I literally like, I think I was wearing boxers. And I just logged off of a webinar for founders with the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And he said, we're really interested in workforce development technologies. And if anyone is building in that space, drop me an email. So he put his email in the Zoom chat and I was like, why not? So I started drafting an email, went downstairs, sat on my mom's sofa, drafted up this cold email and just kind of gave it a bit of passion about what we're building and why. Fired off this cold email. And that was about two and a half years ago. And they're now by far our biggest customer. Like, oh, damn. yeah, amazing. Do you know what? Like we had this, me and Jack had this conversation the other day. It's like, take the shot, like do the thing, roll the dice. It's going to like, all right, what's the, there's no loss to that. There's no downside to it. You send the email, whatever, like, question five minutes. You've got bags of time when you're sitting on your pants. Like, I just love that entire concept. Like I'm a bit obsessed with it. Just like the con I have been ever since like I was an STR, the fact that, you know, you can cold call someone up that has no idea who you are. And within whatever time period, they can buy like thousands of dollars of software from you. I just think that's, that's true. Isn't it mad? <laughs> Isn't it mad? I sold the biggest deal here. I've, I've sold here at sales often. It's because when we called the CEO, he thought it was his builder. So he answered the call because the number looked the same. And now they're my biggest customer. Like, and Jack like, also is his handyman at the weekends. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am his builder. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I mean, and Jack N, like, what's, what would yours be? Favourite sales moment? Probably leading up exactly this point last year, end of our Q1, was just like a day I'll never forget where I had, you know, the biggest deal, I'd sold, come in, and it was like everyone in the office was waiting to go out for drinks because like everyone were done, and we had this one deal, and it got to the point where everyone was just crowded by my desk, and you know maybe like Jack's talked about doing a bonus episode of this just day in itself for me, and yeah, it's just everything went right, and 
I lost the deal at about 2 p.m. that day. And then at 5 p.m., far five, they'd signed. And I didn't make it to dinner that night. <laughs> <laughs> on that note right you know we've got like i'm sure you've got you hub stuff we've got sales or stuff that deal that jack closed in the morning when i left my flat on the way to the office i was on my way to the tube station and a girl ran past me with the name of the company that jack sold the deal to on a t-shirt she was obviously an employee ran past me in the morning and i live and i don't live near the office so it wasn't as if it was like around here and like it was i got into the office and i was like jack you're signing that deal today. i just saw a girl run past me with that t-shirt on it was Fake. like it was proper destiny yeah I absolutely love it. That's amazing. It's the agony and the ecstasy, isn't it? Exactly. Oh, yeah, for like the highs rates. and lows, just it what makes just sales so fun, isn't it? And uh, you know, I'm sure, like I have this thing at the moment where you know it's like getting to that ecstasy needs to be beaten. You know, like and like for me, it's normally done in like closing a bigger deal. Like, what can we do that's bigger and bigger and bigger? And you know, as a sales rep, when you close your first 10k deal and 50k deal and then 100k deal, you're like, well, another 100k deal doesn't do it. I want 200 now. <laughs> that's the but great the, thing. You can always get better. This is exactly what corporate bro says, right? Sales is sadness. Sales are dope never ever stop selling because yeah. once you start you you can't stop like you yeah, true, yeah. it's it's uh, it's never done I, I, I play i played golf with a guy jerry hill and he turns around to me last year on the golf course and he goes you know what i had i had something in my kitchen repaired like i had a handyman come around and fix something in my kitchen he said i was so envious watching that guy he completed a job like he he, he completed it he finished it and then he packed up and he went home it was like job done <laughs> it was like yeah. so you close the deal. What's the next one? You yeah, what do we month, get? Finish the quarter. quarter. It's it's infinite. It's you know it's you perpetual. Know. Even so, when you finish the financial year, you just you see your number the day after. It's just oh, no. and you're like mad, isn't it? Yeah, please just leave the board up for like a, at least a week. Yeah. <laughs> could you, Matt? Could you round it up by giving us? I guess this, if you can answer this question, like when the deal signed, what did it mean to Matt, the sales sales guy who sold the deal? Matt, the founder and CEO, and then finally, like Matt, in your personal life, I guess, like you tell us, like the the final part. <laughs> yeah, like it, it was, uh, yeah, it was a good moment. Obviously, like mixed emotions because I realised that we were under underselling ourselves price wise. Delighted to get the deal over the line. It's and, and they've been an amazing customer since. Like super collaborative. They've been amazing in terms of helping build out and shape our product. And those are the types of customers we want to work with. I'm actually planning to go out to back to the States later this year to speak on stage with that customer at an event. So like, that's the type, that's what we do it for, right? Like we are mm. telling that story with them, right? So for, for Matt, the, for Matt, the salesperson, well, like surprise, surprise as a founder, I, I don't earn commission. I don't, I don't earn, so it doesn't mean much to me in my current role. It's all for the good of the business, the growth of the company and hitting that next milestone. So there wasn't much to kind of reflect on for that. For, for, for me as the founder, yeah, I think, you know, looking back on this deal with quite, quite a lot of pride, like we had, you know, going, going back to, to last year, like you'd argue that we didn't really have a right to win that mm. full competitive review of every single competitor. And, you know, we, we, we did it, we pulled it off. We've gone on to do that again with other customers. And for, for, for Matt, the, the, the human, uh, not a hell of a lot, if I'm honest, guys. I went home. I was still just, uh, I was just Matt Milligan to my girlfriend. Like no, nothing had changed. You know, I still would get, you know, probably probably went, hung out with mates on on that Friday night and got a load of stick. 
waiting for my haircut and, and <laughs> you know, nothing changes. <laughs> Good man. I appreciate that, mate. Like um, yeah, well, I guess that's it. Like that, that, that bring it, brought it full circle. And there's a great theme to that as well. That like the using the what does it mean to you as personally, and also what does it mean to you kind of as a business too. So gr- thanks for being so open and honest and transparent, and also thanks for joining us. Like this is gonna, this is going to be a big episode for us. So I really appreciate that. I'm really grateful. I mean, Pleasure, an hour, guys. hour for you is a lot more expensive than an hour for me and Jack. <laughs> Not at all, guys. Not at all. And to a point around the personal stuff, I. I worked for a period of my career in management consulting in EY. And I, I think just as might be of interest to your listeners, I think anyone who's come from management consulting will know. I think Misha kind of came from, from that background as well. It's an amazing place to, to learn the, the, the kind of ropes of, of sales because it's, it's consultative selling by nature, right? It's mm. the most consultative sell there is. So you learn how to build relationships, you learn how to build solutions, you learn how to build business cases. It's an amazing skill set. But there was a leader that I worked for there, a guy called Steve Varley. He was the CEO of the UK business. I remember he came into like a breakfast one morning when I was like 21 years old. And this guy's like Iron Man. He, I think he's like European Iron Man under 50s champion. It's like the guy's running a global billion dollar business and he somehow still trains twice a day. And he said something to us there that I always remember. He said, like, it's good to be ambitious. Like, ambitious ambition will take you far in your careers and everyone that joins this company is ambitious. But you have to remember, like, this isn't real life. Like, what you're doing here in your career is not, it's not real life. Like, real life is your mum, your dad, your partner. It's the relationships you build with other people. Like that, that is real life. And I think always having that context that, you know, this stuff we're doing, like if we're not having fun doing it, then what's the point, right? Yeah, it's got to serve you outside. Yeah, it's not the same as hitting a free iron 280 yards in the middle of the fairway, is it? 